day. <laughs> so during the liturgy, uh, there's something called the preface, which we would recognize immediately, but might not always know that it has a name. It begins, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. And then I say, lift up your hearts. And you say, lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And the Mass, uh, for every day of the year, has a preface, and it changes. Throughout Advent, we've been using one preface, but today, on Gaudete Sunday, there's another preface that we can use. And this preface, along with the readings this weekend, highlight for us two new characters who are being drawn into the salvation story as we continue throughout Advent. There's St. John the Baptist and Mary. This preface that we'll pray today says that John the Baptist awaited the Lord's coming and proclaimed his presence when he came. And it says that the Virgin Mary, who carried Jesus in her womb for nine months, longed for him with love beyond all telling. And so I'd like today to focus just on this simple question of who is Mary? And I'd like to do it on the way in the context of something that the prophet Isaiah said to us this morning. He says that the desert will exalt and the steppe shall bloom and that in this place that's completely dry, flowers will appear. He might be, at least in a literal sense, referring to something called a desert bloom. Maybe you've heard of it or seen pictures of it. It's this phenomenon in desert areas throughout the world where if on an unusual year there's an extreme amount of rain, which happens from time to time, uh, the rain penetrates down really far into the earth uh, and it germinates seeds that normally you don't see in the desert because they lay dormant, maybe a couple of feet below the surface. And this rain comes down and saturates the seeds, it germinates them, it pushes them up so that in the middle of a desert, which for years at a time can be dry, suddenly for miles and miles and miles, there are flowers. The last major time this happened was in Chile in 2015, and you can look up pictures of this online. Just the middle of a desert, maybe with some mountains at the end, and just miles and miles and miles of flowers. And the Blessed Virgin Mary is something like that, like a desert bloom. She is something beautiful, almost incomprehensible, who has grown up in an environment that's not welcoming or not conducive to that kind of light. So who is Mary? First, do Catholics worship Mary? No. Is Mary God? No. Do we adore Mary? No. But can we pray to Mary? Yes. If I ask Luca to pray for me because I needed help with something, that's a very Christian thing to do. I'm not an idolater for doing that. What we do as Christians is we ask other Christians for help. We cry out in our need. (laughs) 
And so we venerate the Virgin Mary for who she is. We call upon her in any need we have. Second, we can say that Mary is the mother of God. There were a lot of dragged out, prolonged, bitter fights in the first centuries of Christianity about whether it was okay to say that Mary was the mother of God. And the conclusion that the church reached in communion together was that, yes, we can call Mary the mother of God because Jesus is God and she carried Jesus in her womb for nine months. She's really his mother. So she's the mother of God. But she's also in a particular way, for each one of us, our mother. Because St. Paul says that we are the body of Christ, and Mary carried the body of Christ for nine months in her womb, and we are mysteriously and mystically part of that body. And so we can call on her as our mother and ask for her help. And third, the Blessed Virgin Mary is someone who does not leave people alone. I have up here this image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which I might pick up to make it a little easier to see. And Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, is really a beautiful story. Her feast day was on Thursday, December 12th. Uh, and Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared to an indigenous man uh, in Mexico in 1531, Juan Diego. And Juan Diego was going on his way somewhere, and he realized that something unusual was going on, and this woman, um, an indigenous woman, appeared to him, and she asked him to go to the bishop and to ask, uh, ask the bishop to build a church there in her honor so that she could draw people closer to Christ. And she said to Juan Diego, come back here the next day. Come back here tomorrow. So Juan Diego did at least what I would have done, which is the next day he went somewhere else. <laughs> and like a good mother, Mary went and found him and met him where he was. Mothers, you understand. And she said, I want to give you this sign to the bishop uh, that this is real, that you're not just making this up, because the bishop was skeptical. And so she had him gather ropes from the top of this hill um, called Tepeyac, uh, and it was supposed to be a sign because it was the middle of December. It was December 12th, and there was snow on top of this mountain. So there was no reason for roses to be growing there. Yet roses were growing there, a desert bloom. And so Juan Diego gathered these roses up into his garment, which was called a tilma, uh, and he brought them to the bishop. And he released his garment when he went to go to the bishop and just to show these roses, because these roses alone were supposed to be a sign that something not normal was going on. But instead of there just being these roses, these desert, this desert bloom that Mary had sent, there was this image on his garment. You can see it. It's in Mexico City still, uh, in the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And there are a couple of just really fascinating things about this image. 
First of all, Mary is wearing this um, black tie around her waist. She is not a black belt. Uh, she's wearing it because that was an indication in Aztec culture that a woman was pregnant. Uh, so women would wear that um, around their belly to sort of indicate, okay, like, I'm pregnant. Be nice to me. Uh, and she has in this image just a little bit of a baby bump. She's pregnant with the Lord. But there are other things, too. Some, uh, there are a lot of cultural things about this, but also some scientific things. So they've done extensive spectroscopy and all of these studies by physicists on this image. There are no brush strokes on the image. It's like it happened all at once. And the pigment is not any identifiable pigment. You can find a chemical compound for it, but it's not one that naturally occurs through plants or through animals. And pigments are either natural or they're synthetic. It's not a natural pigment, and there were no synthetic pigments in 1531. And so we don't know entirely what the origin of it is. This image uh, had acid spilled on it in the 1700s. Uh, socialist uh, terrorists planted a bomb in front of it. In the 1920s, the bomb went off and nothing happened to the image. And more recently, they've done studies of Mary's eyes on the original uh, image. And what's been discovered is that if you magnify the original image on the tilma several thousand times, what you can see is that the images in Mary's eyes actually uh, have the same characteristics of images that pass through a human eye. So when something comes to your cornea fourfold, so whatever comes in comes out four different ways in each eye. And that's what happens when they magnified uh, the image. And so there are these images that are refracted fourfold in each eye. Uh, and these images are rounded, which is what happens in your eye because it passes through the cornea, which is rounded. <coughs> and these images show a couple of figures that are a, a little blurry, which is what would be what it would look like if you looked at an image that was in your eye. I feel you. And people have speculated that those images, those kind of shadowy figures, that that's what was in front of her, the bishop, and the people around the bishops when Juan Diego unrolled his tilma, and that Mary was, in a way, looking at them. That's not myth. That's not a thing I cooked up. That's science. It's indisputable. And our mother comes to us, and she came to indigenous people in Guadalupe because we need somebody who's like us to show us the gospel, to show us Christ, and to preach the gospel to us. Juan Diego was a convert. He had grown up as a pagan and became Christian when he was 50. But he was really an outlier. There had been uh, Spanish Franciscan missionaries in Mexico for decades before Our Lady of Guadalupe's appearance, and their work, which was strenuous, bore almost no fruit. Almost nobody became Christian. 
In the eight years following Mary's appearance in Guadalupe, nine million indigenous people became Catholic. And that was because they needed somebody like them to preach the gospel. And Mary, Our Lady of Guadalupe, came not as a Spaniard or someone from Europe, a missionary. She came as an Aztec woman. We look to people in our lives who are like us to communicate the gospel. And people in our lives who are looking for the gospel are looking for people like us to communicate it to them. We can pray to Mary. She is our mother, and she does not leave us alone. And she comes to us this way, always not for her own sake, not to point to herself, but like this stained glass window we have here, shows Mary's holding Jesus, and she's pointing to him. She always directs our attention further into the Lord. And he is the Lord, Isaiah says, who can give strength to our trembling hands, who can make firm our weak knees, who comes to us in the Eucharist so that whatever in our life may feel like desert can bloom.